This is not the media. This is hell. I so love William Seward Burroughs. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show host, Chuck Mertz, producing today's show. It's Wednesday, so it must be Richard Norwood. Richard, you uh, caused quite a conflagration within our inbox this week when uh, you mentioned last week that Chicago Public Library offers free movies through the Canopy uh, platform. Yes, I know. I realize that is not true. Well, no. Then I got an email from somebody saying that that's absolutely correct. you got to check out the Canopy platform at Chicago Public Library. Then somebody emailed and said... No, it's the Hoopla yes. platform. The, they they have two. They, it's, it's <laughs> I can't hoop- believe we're discussing this to this detail, but yeah, it's exactly. Good. Uh, yeah, it is the Hoopla, and then they they have like their own. There's another one called Overdrive, which is uh, you can stream, I guess, directly from the web, the public website, the library website, or you, I guess you can do it on your on your own. But um, but yeah, Canopy is a pretty cool site, but it, it's it's limited to certain libraries. Oh, so but it's, but I think it's I think it's comparable to to Hoopla. So but you can find all these things through the Chicago Public Library website. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because people are everybody wants to know how to get free movies. Yeah. So do you have any new, new tips this week that you want to get people talking about? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> the the return process of if you if you actually get the physical DVDs, yes. the return process is a little. Um, is a little tiresome, but um, because when you return the DVDs, they the, the library quarantines them for a week because of the COVID and okay. the panic um, and pandemic. But but then so they won't check them in until after the week of quarantine. So what so what that means is if you front load like like a whole bunch of things to borrow, right? You'll you'll get stuck waiting for the ones that you return to get checked back in until you can then check out more things. Oh, I see. So, so you're so, limited to the number of things you can check out. Exactly. But, and then, so at the beginning, there might be a delay in how many things you can check out because right. you're waiting for them to get checked back in. But once you start doing it on a regular basis, it'll be fine. But people can just watch it streaming if they want. Exactly. So why would you actually want to get a hard copy of a DVD then? Because you're not going to, the library of streaming is probably much more limited compared to what they actually have physical DVDs of. And there's, and the ones that you can actually get on the, Physical DVDs are probably like the more like Criterion Collection and rare and rare items or older items that just aren't streaming yet. Exactly. There's there's a huge catalog of stuff that's not on that you can't stream. Well, so. listeners have been really appreciating your tip on this because uh, nobody wants to spend money on Amazon. Nobody wants to spend money on Netflix. I was just really surprised how many listeners were emailing me about it this week. <laughs> This month, elections were held, votes were counted, claims of tampering were made, evidence was found that some votes may not have been counted, and the whole process was clouded with uncertainty. And while all that may sound very familiar to you, we are not talking about the elections here in the United States, but the vote in one of its territories where they cannot vote for president. Puerto Rico, after four tumultuous years that included student strikes over austerity, bankruptcy, hurricanes, an earthquake, and its aftershocks, and a corruption scandal that led to massive street protests, which eventually forced the governor to resign. Puerto Ricans went to the voting booth on Election Day to determine who will lead the government over the next four years. And while the two major parties still dominated the vote, as they have done for the past half century, their share of total votes actually shrank in an unprecedented way. In the past, whoever won the election for governor would get over 50% of the vote. This time, the winner didn't even get a third 
of the vote, not even 33%, with alternative left-wing anti-neoliberal pro-independence parties making huge strides in what could be a real challenge to the political status quo on the island. The vote also included a non-binding referendum on statehood, which asked if voters would rather Puerto Rico stay a state or become a or stay a territory or become a state. Independence was not an option, so yes, statehood won, as right-wing media here has been repeating over and over. But all it really proved is Puerto Ricans think anything is better than being a territory of the United States with its limited rights. Meanwhile, left-wing media is here in the States is calling the election a huge success for Puerto Rico's left. But when two-thirds of the voters still vote for the status quo, how much of a victory is it? We'll try to sort out what happened in Puerto Rico's election in a few when we have the return of our man in San Juan, correspondent Dave Buchan, who has been reporting to us on all things Puerto Rico from his home in San Juan since the last century. Dave makes theater with Theater Ublek here in Chicago and El Teatro Barbaro in San Juan and plays music with La Banda Municipal de Macula Barun. Dave's most recent appearance was back on March 26th when we started a series of Weekly reports from correspondents, contributors, and past guests from around the world about how uh, coronavirus was affecting those who live where they live. We ended up with live coverage from Dave in San Juan, as well as hearing from friends in Budapest, Seoul, South Korea, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Taiwan, Mexico City, Santiago, Chile, and finally back here in Chicago. Prior to that appearance, uh, Dave was on in July of 2019 when we spoke with him where he was attending protests against then-Governor Ricardo Rosseo. Six days after we spoke with Dave, Governor Rosseo resigned, and an interim governor was put into place, who was just... Well, they have a new governor now. They didn't. The interim governor did not run for re-election. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed live stream podcast and radio show host Chuck Mertz, producing, as I said before, Richard Norwood. Richard... And Please remind I'm us. Your balding, four-eyed, big-nosed producer. <laughs> So, uh, please remind us, what's this week? This week's question from hell for our listening audience? I think all the producers need to find three self-deprecating uh, adjectives <laughs> to describe themselves. I think they should do that. I don't want to force them on, force that on them, because that's probably what they don't want to be thinking about. Speaking of which, what is this week's question from hell? What are you hardly not thinking about, really? What do you I mean, I mean uh, <laughs> what are you really not hardly thinking about trying? What are you trying <laughs> really hard to not think about? The person with our, our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins our new gray on black This Is Hell winter hat. You can check out the new gray on black This Is Hell winter hat and all our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support where you'll see all the ways you can contribute to completely listener-supported This Is Hell. Without you, we got nothing. So thanks to all of you for your support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio. But we must have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth. During this week's moment, Jeff and his anesthesiologist give a stern warning. Rich will have more of your answers to this week's question mail following our guest again. This week's question mail is, what are you trying really hard to not think about? What are you trying really hard to not think about? Your eyewitness to grief, this is hell. We got a message via Facebook at facebook.com slash thisishellradio from Barry, who writes, This would be a great interview. Love to you all over there at This Is Hell. Be well. 
Barry then sends a link to a review of a book with possibly the best title of any book in 2020. Jesus and John Wayne. How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation by Kristen Cobes Dumez. As the publisher's webpage for the book explains, challenging the commonly held assumption that the moral majority backed Donald Trump for purely pragmatic reasons, Dumez reveals that Donald Trump in fact represents the fulfillment rather than the betrayal of white evangelicals' most deeply held values. Trump is hardly the first flashy celebrity to capture evangelicals' hearts and minds, nor is he the first strongman to promise evangelicals protection and power. Indeed, the values and viewpoints of at the heart of white evangelicism today, patriarchy, authoritarian rule, aggressive foreign policy, fear of Islam, ambivalence towards the Me Too movement, and opposition to Black Lives Matter in the entire LGBTQ community are likely to persist long after Trump leaves office. No, Donald Trump is not Trumpism. What Donald Trump really is is the fulfillment of white evangelicalism. And that's something that we all need to remember. Again, that book is Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation by Kristen Cobes, K-O-B-E-S, Dumez, M-E-Z. And thanks, Barry. We will be adding Kat and Kristen to our list of possible upcoming guests. And all of our listeners can send us your comments, criticisms, both constructive and destructive alike. Thoughts, topics, suggestions, guest ideas, send all that stuff to Chuck at thisishell.com. You can message them to us via Facebook as well, facebook.com slash thisishellradio, or you can direct message us via Twitter at thisishellradio. And unless you tell us otherwise, we will likely share your writing on air. And if you want to send us something, some actual physical thing in the mail, you can still do that too by addressing whatever you want to thisishell2251 West Devon. This is Hell, 2251 West Event, second floor, Chicago, Illinois, 60659. That's 60659. Again, this is Hell, 2251 West Devon, second floor, Chicago, Illinois, 60659. We are still receiving letter mail through our mail slot at the front door, and we are still getting packages. They're being delivered to the halal Chinese restaurant next door named U.S. Mania, or more likely Usmania, and we can pick up our packages there. So if you want to send us anything, we are still getting snail mail. Coming up, Puerto Rico voted, the ruling party won, but there is newfound hope for a much-needed change in the political status quo on the island. We'll also have Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth during this week's moment. Jeff and his anesthesiologist give us a stern warning. Richard will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell, which is what are you trying really hard to not think about? What are you trying really hard to not think about? And I did love the way you were scrambling around those words, Richard. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins our new Graham Black This Is Hell winner hat, which you can see right now by going to our website, thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell again at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio, but we must have your response by the end of the show today. Live from the nightmare of want, this is hell. Earlier this month, Puerto Ricans voted to determine who will run their government over the next four years and whether the island wanted to become one, one of the United States or to remain a territory. And the outcome was historic in good ways and in ways that may not be as good as 
possibly reported. Here to help us figure out what happened in Puerto Rico's election, Dave Buchan has been living in Puerto Rico since the previous century and has been reporting to us on all things Puerto Rico since the 20th century, live from his home in San Juan. Welcome back to This Is Hell, Dave. Hey, Chuck. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. I, 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 my, my school gave us the whole week off for Thanksgiving, so I had like I, it's, I'm so happy. I'm so, like, no alarms. So great. So, oh, my God. So, well, so let me ask you about that. So let me ask you about that, uh, about teaching, because uh, my first question is going to be about what coronavirus, what's going on with coronavirus. But just real quick, uh, how is teaching going in San Juan right now? Do you do virtual teaching? Are you meeting with students in school rooms? What's the situation when it comes to students in classrooms? At this point, there's no students in classrooms anywhere that I know of. I mean, there may be some little school somewhere that's doing it, but uh, the public schools are still, all those students are at home. Um, the, and most of the, 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 every private school I know of, the students are at home. At my school, the teachers, we have to go three days a week because the, the director can't imagine a world, like just doesn't believe that we're actually working when we're at home, uh, even though like I have better net, better internet connection at home than I do at the school. So it's like, you know, I'd be a better teacher if I could work from home, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So everyone's at home, but that could change really soon. Uh, in January, they're thinking of bringing back students in some kind of hybrid form, um, which to me just seems insane of just like, like, just finish up the school year as we've done it, and then next year we can get to it. Because, like, the whole thing of uh, the the logistics of, like, getting students into a clean school just seems like such a huge effort that, you know, by this point, like, we figure out how to do it from home. Let's just finish this, you know, finish the school year, and then next year we can we can figure it out. So... So what does that what does that say to you about uh, how well the government right now can provide services when you can get better internet connection at your home than you can at your school? Does that reflect on the way in which Puerto Ricans were upset about the uh, the process when it comes to the government supplying services to the people? Well, the the, the school, I teach at a private school. Uh, like I, it's a little tiny private school. Um, and, but I mean, my kids go to the public school and I'm jealous of those teachers, man. It's just like, my daughter's like, yeah, I haven't seen my English teacher in a week. And I was like, oh, wow. It's, you know, it's, uh, um, no one trusts the government here to, to provide services. No one, you know, there, there, the, uh, there is no sense of like, oh yeah, we got this. But everyone knows that everyone's just sort of scrambling for themselves. Um, the, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's no sense of like, yeah, they got it under control. So, um, because I, I, I saw this quote at Time Magazine, believe it or not, at Time Magazine's website. They quote Alexandra Marie Figueroa Miranda, founder of La Clara, a political youth advocacy group, saying, we're literally fighting for our lives in Puerto Rico with this election. These elections have been so important because for the last four years, we've been improvising a country. 
You've been living in San Juan since the late 90s. In your opinion, has Puerto Rico been different in the last four years, and not only because of the repeated natural disasters? It is... How different? It's like I always kind of feel like it's always the same here. Like, there, there is a sense of just like it's that we've been improvising it for a long time that, that, uh, but I think that the junta, the control that really changed a perception of like, um, there's as a colony, it's just like, okay, you don't have control. Like, you know, just, there's a basic thing of like, yes, we, we are underneath someone else's control, but I think the junta, double that and there really is a sense of like what's the point like there's there this, this other entity is controlling what we do and it's making the decisions and so i think that is that is sinking in like the the elections this year the turnout was way down uh you know up there in the states you know record turnouts this year record not turnouts uh like when i moved here um I started voting again. Like in the States, I wasn't voting in the 90s because, you know, uh, you know, don't encourage the politicians and, and uh, what does it really matter? And I showed up here and every, it was like 80% of the population voted. And I was like, okay, this is like what you do here. It's like, and so uh, now this election was down to 52% or something like that. Like, so, you know, nearly, you know, you know, just half of the voting age population bothered to vote this time. Um, so there, it, and there is definitely a sense of just like, uh, of the kind of just the weariness of like, yeah, whatever. Like they're all, it's, you know, trading between the two parties, which got a serious challenge this time. And, and, and I mean, they didn't win, but uh, it really did feel different uh, this, this election um, with uh, the third parties doing so well. Yeah, and I, I want to get to that in a little bit, but uh, just getting back to the Time article and what you were saying mm. about uh, people not voting, uh, Time reports on November 3rd turnout was relatively low, like you said, with only about 53% of eligible voters participating. The leading PNP candidate, one of the two major parties, uh, the party that is in charge that Governor Rosello was from, which spent millions mm. to include the issue on the ballot, the issue of statehood, after Attorney General William Barr refused to appropriate federal funds for the plebiscite, heralded the outcome as a victory for the statehood cause. But many see the referendum simply as a political tool for the party to put supporters, get supporters to the polls and question whether yeah. the results reflect what most Puerto Ricans actually want to see happen. Now, the choices were, do you want to be a state or do you want to be a territory? Is that... Well, a- it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a yes or no question. And it was a, I love the question. It was hilariously written. It was like, should, should Puerto Rico be admitted as a state um, immediately? And, and use the word immediately, like, come on, November 4th, man, we're going to learn today, and tomorrow we're going to be a state, which ev- everyone knew was a joke. Uh, <laughs> and everyone knew that it was that the PMP, the party was in power, put it to get their voters to the polls. Um, they poured tons of money into advertising. There were signs everywhere, YouTube videos. Um, someone I loved, there was this great, uh, one of their slogans was, colonialism kills. 
vote statehood, which I just thought, like, well, all we have to do is change that, say, colonialism kills, vote independence. <laughs> but there was no independent vote. I mean, it was just like yes or no. And and it won for the first time ever, uh, you know, uh, barely, you know, it's uh, 52 percent of the vote. Um, so which means a quarter of the voting age population voted for it. Uh, but it did win. But it, it doesn't mean anything. And, and everyone knew that it didn't mean anything. So it's it, I mean, I don't. No one's talking about it here. Like here, that is not even like a part of the conversation. Uh, it's pretty hilarious. So it's just it's it's completely ignored. Um, and with the results, I mean, I, the I think the the worry here was that if uh, if if Biden had won and the Democrats had taken the Senate, you still never know the. I mean, statehood for D.C. is definitely going to come up soon, you know, depending on what happens in the Senate. And then attached to that, all this in the last four years, it's really become and Puerto Rico and and sort of linking the two of like, well, we need to give statehood to, to District of Columbia and also Puerto Rico. Um, I don't think that the, you know, now I don't think that's really going to come up so much because I think DC is going to be hard enough uh, to, to have happen that I think hopefully they'll ignore the whole Puerto Rico thing. So. Why would attorney <laughs> Why would Attorney General Barr oppose funding a plebiscite? A plebiscite would lead to the actual becoming of a state. It's not a non-binding referendum. It's a, actually a binding vote. So why would Attorney General mm-hmm. Barr oppose funding a plebiscite on statehood? Is Barr or the Trump administration or the Republican Party or even there is there a bipartisan consensus on opposition to statehood? There is, I mean, there, okay, the, um, my sense is that statehood in, uh, in the, in the states, uh, for Puerto Rico is mostly Democrats' favorite. And that made, and, and partially that's strategic thinking that Puerto Rican senators and representatives would be all Democrats, um, which I don't necessarily think is true, but that's, yeah, it, it, Probably, you never know. Um, and Republicans in general are like, no, we don't want more, you know, we don't want more brown people voting, you know, and, and uh, you know, same, you know, the reason they oppose, you know, stated for the, for DC is like, we don't want black people voting. Um, and yet there are, there are a fair number of pro statehood Republicans who are sort who are uh, of, you know, who's, see them as, as potential voters, you know, uh, you know, the, you can make inroads into, into that, um, into the Latinx vote, as they say these days. Um, but in general, in general, uh, politicians in the States have just either said, well, we'll leave it up to them or been so non-committally like, yeah, I prefer, I prefer statehood, but will never allow it to happen. Like I, there's no sense of anyone in, in, in American politics who's like, this is a priority. We need to work on this. And so I think for, for Barr to approve something that would have actually had teeth to it would have been like, no, 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 no. You know, we don't need to do that. Like, just let, let them keep talking. It's okay. Like, just, just keep on going as is. 
You said that uh, the statehood uh, referendum, that was not something that people are talking about that much in Puerto Rico, yet that's what's dominating the coverage when it comes here in the United States to the outcome of that election. It's all about how Puerto Rico mm-hmm. wants statehood. Puerto Rico wants statehood. Why do yeah. you want independence rather than statehood? What do you think Puerto Ricans can get out of independence that they cannot get from statehood? I think independence. I mean, it's funny. I'm uh, so I'm teaching. I'm a teacher now, and 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 one of the things I've been teaching is is U.S. history, um, which is intense because it's just like staring into the abyss of U.S. history with thirteen-year-olds. They're just like trying to like let's go through slavery. Like, what is white supremacy? And um, and uh, and one of the things I tell them is just like. You know, we we read the Declaration of Independence, that kind of stuff, and it's like, what's the most patriotic holiday in the United States of America? July Fourth. What does it celebrate? Independence. And when, when the United States says we declare our independence to make our own decisions, and as an American, I believe in that. I mean, I believe that people have uh, in, in in that declaring one's independence, having autonomy as a people, as a society is important. And ultimately, I really feel that Puerto Rico is a different society than the United States. I mean, it's been 122 years of a colony of the United States, but it's never become a part of the United States. And like we have nice relations, you know, we travel back, people travel back and forth, but you know, the United States has nice relations with Canada, but they're different entities. And I think that one huge problem with being a colony of the United States is that it, it um, takes Puerto Rico out of the Caribbean in a way. It takes Puerto Rico out of Latin America. Like we have, you know, Dominican Republic is right next door. And yet as a part of the U.S. system, we can't have direct contact with them. The contact has to go through the United States. And for me, ultimately, really is just like it is a dis- we are a distinct society here and, and should be we should make the decisions based on who we are and where we are in the world, uh, as opposed to becoming the, the, you know, the, the poorest state instead of Mississippi. You know, I, I don't see, I don't see any real benefits other than I mean, there's some. The, the benefits of the benefits of statehood are all just about the assumption that Puerto Ricans are a part of the United States, and I just don't see it. I mean, I, it's we're it's a different country here, uh, and and we need to be able to make the decisions that affect us. I mean, like what the United States is going through right now with you know the list of the list of existential crises that the U.S. is going through right now: climate change. Uh, racial justice, um, long, you know, long uh, dealing with the freaking white evangelicals. Um, they they resonate here, but they're they're in completely different terms. That so you can't. It's not. Uh, we're, we're not a part of it. It's just like the way we experience dealing with racial justice is different than the way the United States does. The way that we're dealing with climate change is different than you are. The way that we're dealing with the evangelicals is different than you. And like all of those things, it's, it's a distinct thing here. And, and to solve those problems, we need to do it here rather than through 
you know, Washington, D.C. Like, we don't need the senator in Oklahoma telling us what to do. With what you call the junta, then, how are Puerto Ricans making even fewer decisions for themselves? Because I I don't think people understand Mm -hmm. how that whole process works, how that structure works, and how Puerto Ricans have even less of a say in their decision-making today. The junta is was imposed by Obama at the end, like at the near the end of his term. Uh, the the um, the debt here was just getting out of control, and the, and and the and the government here was just like we're not going to be able to pay the debt. And so, but because we're a territory, we can't declare bankruptcy. Um, and so it became this sort of like, okay, what are we going to do? And so they appointed this into to oversee how Puerto Rico deals with its debt and spends its money. How you spend your money is everything. And so the budget, like for schools, has to go through the junta. The budget for everything has to go through. And so they have a veto and they can say like, no, you can't pass that law because that's not good fiscal policy in our, in our mind. Uh, and so this is labor laws. It's everything. Um, and it's still, it's just kind of lurking there in the background. Um, you know, you know, yeah. Um, so it really is, you know, you could be the governor in a way it's always been that way. Uh, but I think the junta personalizes it more. It puts it in the body of these eight people, Whereas before it was just the, this amorphous the United States is the colonial master and, and we have to follow the rules. But now there's these eight people who are like who are nitpicking. They're like, no, there, you know, oh, change that. Get rid of that. You can't spend that money. Like, and so now it's much more visible um, what the colonial relationship is. So what, do you th- what impact do you think that junta, that kind of structure, had on Puerto Rico's response to the pandemic? And was this election in any way, was the outcome in any way a referendum on the government response to the pandemic? I think actually the pandemic, I mean, I'm not going to say they've done a good job, um, but they've kind of done a good job. Uh, like immediately in March, um, we there was a curfew still there's a curfew like we we have never gone out of the curfew like right now it's 10 o'clock uh at first it was seven which was just that was that was very brutal i have to say uh and uh but now it's 10 o'clock and and people wear masks here it's all you know there's a mask mandate uh since from the moment mask mandates came in and and people are are we don't have any you know, protests in the street saying, damn it, we want, we demand our freedom. Um, and, and, and I think everyone's just sort of adapted to it fairly well, to tell you the truth. I mean, there's, you know, uh, it's weird. Like every once in a while I'll go to a restaurant to get something to go. And if I had to go inside and there's people in there, it's like, what are you people doing? Um, but, and they, uh, thankfully they, they, they closed on the cruise ships. Um, Actually, a friend of mine was at the beach the other day and saw a cruise ship coming in, and she just started freaking out. She's like, "Oh my God, they're doing it again!" And her friend was like, "No, no, no, it's okay." Like they announced in the newspaper that they had to send a cruise ship here to, to like get gas or something like that, and so they don't freak out people. Um, and we still have some tourists, which is just like people, people, 
why you're coming here. Um, so I think in a way, the pandemic hasn't has not really affected the the election or hasn't affected the um, psyche of the country other than those weird deep like I you know in ten years the psychological scars that we're all going to have and what how they will have played out is just like wow what's that going to be like you know uh, and especially I mean here as well. Like, as a father as well, it's just like, you know, I got a 15 year old and 13 year olds are going to this. And then three years ago, they went through Maria and earlier this year, we went through the earthquakes and it's just like this generation, like what are the, what are those weird subconscious neuroses that we're all going to have? And I don't know, but at this point they're not playing themselves out in public. So well, in, you were saying that Por- Puerto Rico is <laughs> right. Puerto Rico is a different country than the United States. We have all these anti-mask protests. We have all these demonstrations for people who want to have any kind of protocol, any kind of limitation on their freedom to be, you know, taken away. Or, you know, they're they're afraid of actually losing their freedom by having masks on and they protest about it. You are saying, it sounds like you're saying that that kind of thing doesn't happen in Puerto Rico. How is Puerto Rico different from the United States when it comes to, you know, thinking about public health, when the citizens are thinking about how to treat one another? I think in a a certain way, I mean, especially with the masks, it is, mask is, wearing a mask is, is an individual decision. Uh, that you take as a as a group, uh, you know, everyone has to do it for to, to work, whatever. And, and I think like coming out of like using Maria as an example of just like, okay, the government's not here for us. We as the we as the citizens of this place have to take care of ourselves. And 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 so there's all kinds of people in neighborhoods just helping each other. And and I think there is this sense of um, we have to take care of ourselves here. Like the the idea that the United States government was going to help us during the pandemic is like no one, no one even bothered to think that that was going to be a possibility. And and the idea that the local government was going to help us is like it's such a mess. And so I think there is, I think people do have a sense of responsibility for this place. Um, and responsibility for how we are going to survive. Um, it's part of being an island. Uh, it's part of like, we really are separated from the rest of the world. And really are like, it's, it's up to the people here to take care of ourselves. And so I think there is just a, a sense of like, um, there is a deep love for Puerto Rico as a place as an idea as an island uh that's distinct from puerto rico as a government or whatever but there is a real sense of like i'm going to protect this place and i'm going to protect my people because i love my people and i love puerto ricans and and that's and that's um and that has really shown itself i think in these last eight months or whatever it's been so I'm trying to determine to what extent this was, this last election, the election in this month in uh, Puerto Rico, was a victory for the left. There were, the, there's the two major parties that 
pretty much dominate uh, Puerto Rican politics for the last 50 years. And those two parties, usually one of those two parties gets over 50% of the vote and wins the governor's position. In 2016, that didn't happen. It was only a little bit over 40% of the vote uh, for the winning party. So there had been inroads already made for alternative parties. But in 2020, those alternative parties are newer alternative parties. They're anti-neoliberalism. Uh, they, but Still, the combined, uh, the two candidates who came in third and fourth combined did not get as many votes as the winner. If you take all those alternative parties together, they do have more votes than the winner, 35% to 33%. But still, that's only if, you know, if you do the math, it looks like yeah. two thirds of the people are still voting for the two major parties. So to what degree was this a victory for alternative politics, for anti-neoliberalism in uh, Puerto Rico, when still two-thirds of the people are voting for the two major parties? I think I'm, I'm, take, I'm definitely taking it as, look, this is a great step forward. This is a, a huge change. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's already like, all right, in four years, what can we do? Um, the... There's always been third parties here, um, and usually what's happened for 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 decades, it was the there's the statehood party, the the popularities which are state state territory party, and then the independence party. Uh, and the independence party is always like maybe five percent, uh, and and then just started dropping down to three percent. Uh, in in recent elections, and then another, and then every four years, like a new political party would form that was a huge, very much cult of personality, very much like I'm running for governor and I'm going to make this party around me, and they would get some votes in the election and then they disappear. And what's different this time is that the um, the two like. The the newest party they ran last four years as well, but um, did obviously did much better this time. Uh, the Movimiento uh, Victoria Ciudadana. Um, let's get the Movimiento Ciudadana Victoria. No, Movimiento Victoria Ciudadana. The, the victory of the, the Citizens Party. Um, they their candidate for governor definitely has a part of that. Like, hi, I'm running for governor, but they actually built a party. And they brought in people from some of those other parties that had existed before and brought in people from social movements. And it's re and, and it's, it's, it's very openly saying we are about all these, the different civic movements and trying to kind of harness the energy that came out of the protests from last year in which the governor got you know, kicked out. Um, in a sense of just like it's not i mean the two main political parties are just like classic like you you get in power you distribute jobs to everyone and you and you rule for your your group uh, with no real sense of anything's going to happen that's good for the country um interesting thing about the victoria Ciudadana is that they they were like we're not going to talk about uh, status. We're not going to talk about independence or, or statehood. Like that's not a problem. And that was fairly uh, radical um, in terms of just like acknowledging that, like, look, there are serious issues here that need to be taken care of and we need to do them ourselves. It's kind of an implied independence. And I think everyone 
most people I know who um, who were a part of it were are all independentistas who are just like, yeah, we know, like wink, wink. Uh, and but, it, but strategically, it's just like we're going to avoid that question, and we're going to try to deal with like how, as a society, we build ourselves better. Um, they got like almost fifteen percent. The peep, the independentistas, went way up, and they got almost fifteen percent. Um, some right wing Christian group uh, got six percent the first time that they showed up. Um, and the fact, I mean, the so the governor is Pierre Luisi now, who won with thirty two percent of the votes. He actually he was the governor after Rosario resigned. Um, the woman who ended up being the, the new governor, Wanda, who actually she didn't run in the primary and lost. Um, partly because the primaries here, speaking of, I'm going to go all over the place. Uh, the election, you mentioned how the election's a mess here and they, they found boxes, of, boxes of ballots, you know, a week afterwards, like, oops. Um, the, the primaries were even more of a mess uh, back in whatever that was, June, I think. Um, they, all of these polling places just ran out of ballots, like didn't have any. Like at nine in the morning, it's like, sorry, we're done. And so they had to do the election in two parts. Uh, they had to do it in two uh, two weeks. It was like, all right, next week, everyone who didn't get to vote gets to come back and vote. Um, anyway, so back to Pierre Lucy, a new governor. He actually was governor for a week after Rocio resigned. And, and it was, he was sworn in in the house of his lawyer friend. And he, cause he didn't actually have, a, he wasn't living here at the time. And so he, he gets sworn in and stays the governor, quote unquote, for a week living at his friend's house uh, until the, until the, the court say, you're not the governor. You can't swear yourself in. And so now, now he gets to officially be the governor. Um, his party is uh, does not control the legislature at all here. Uh, and legislature is me fairly interesting. The legislature is the, the largest party are, is the populares, which are the things they, they are party. Um, and then, but then all the small parties, because the way that elections work here is senators are by, by accumulation. And so there's like, here are these 10 senators that whoever, whichever of these, get the highest votes go gets to be a senator. So the small parties, they just nominate two people. And so all of their voters vote for those two people. And so for years, like the, the independentistas have, have had somebody in the Senate, Like you get to have some representation this year, all of the parties got it. And so there's like, there's, there's going to be like eight independent senators, uh, along with the populares, um, who, who are going to control the legislature. So there's really no way for the statehood governor to plow through anything. And it's really going to be sort of a, like a, a you know, divided government for four years. And so it really is a lot of like building up like what's going to happen in four years. In, in some sense, it's like what's going to happen in four years politically. But from like the Victoria Ciudadana viewpoint, it's just like, what can we do on the ground in these civic groups for four years? Like that's their organizing is organizing through community organizations. And, and so, so that's going to be, and I think that opening hasn't really ever been here before. Yeah. Uh, Cause up until now it's the, the small parties get 3%. It's like, whatever. 
you know, nice try. Um, this time, this time it's different, and I mean, we'll see what happens, but there's a possibility. Yeah, because as you know, as the New York Times, you were saying, but as the New York Times reported, for the first time, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico's legislature will be made up of a solid mix of politicians from different parties. Do you think that mix of politicians from varying parties will change Puerto Rico? Do you think what impact will it have on political debate, or do the two major parties still have far too much control over that debate? Oh, the two the two main political parties over the debate. I would say the two, the two main political parties still have uh, an inordinate amount of control over the mechanisms of how this country is run, of like all of the you know departments and all of that. But over the debates, I do feel like the debate is going to be more open, and the debate in general has always been more open here than it is in the states. Uh, you know the the the. Um, the states, the you know, debate is just such so narrowly um, between the two parties and the you know whatever the factions within those parties. Um, but for here, there's always there's always been voices that are heard in the debate um, from outside of the two main parties. Um, partly because you know the, the independentistas have always had a senator that always included in the debates that was always included in in, uh, in the newspapers when they're talking about you know what's you know uh, an issue of the day they don't just talk to the two parties they talk to the the other parties as well and 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 there is a much sort of wider debate here than and open discussion than there is in the states one last question for you, Dave. Uh, so uh, I saw this quote in the New York Times from William Ramirez, the executive director of the ACLU in Puerto Rico, which had sued to allow more absentee ballots, saying the whole tragedy here is not so much how the election turns out in the end, but it's that I don't think anyone in Puerto Rico, after a failed primary and this current process, can really say they trust the system. We had a large turnout of young people. They voted for the first time. And unfortunately, this was their experience. So, Dave, do you th- believe that there is a youth movement happening today in Puerto Rico that is going to have a significant impact on Puerto Rico's politics? Or is the Puerto Rican government doing everything they can to make another generation frustrated by Puerto Rico's politics? Wow. That's, that's a question from hell. Because uh, oh, ever since I've been a youth, I've been really um, uh, dis trustful of youth movements. I've never, I've never believed in youth movements. Even when I was like 14, it was like, ah, you know, my generation, give me a break. Um, I, cause I, I do think that there is a, um, I, I mean, in the protests a year ago, you did see young people way more than you'd ever seen in protests before. And so I do think that there is a, a more, a heightened involvement and a heightened sense of like, Hey, we need to fix stuff here. Um, will it lead to, you know, what will it lead to? I don't know. Um, um, you know, when I, when I went and voted, uh, I was amazed by how many old people were there. It was just like, I was in line for you know an hour and it's just like, wow, these are some ancient people. Um, and then Anthony Bounds, if we're going to say some quickly on that here, voting here, I mean, the States, um, you know, you've got early voting in a lot of states and you've got, you know, absentee ballots. 
here, the only the, the only way you can really get an absentee ballot is if you're old, uh, like over 65, you can go vote like uh, before everyone else does. Otherwise, they make it really hard for you. Um, four years ago, I was in the town's elections. So I was like, oh, I'll go get my absentee ballot. And they handed me this two-page paper, which was printed in like eight-point type of here are all the things you need to do to get an absentee ballot. And it's just to get a written you know, confirmation from your work saying, I was like, I was like, whatever, I won't vote this year. They like that needs to, I mean, if that can change, I think that would be, uh, 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 could, could change the next election. If they, if the voting process here can finally open up, uh, cause it really is a, a very traditional, you show up in the day election or, or you don't vote. Um, and so we'll see how, you know, if, if that can be something that gets pushed forward. Dave, it's always great to hear from you. I always enjoy your perspective on what's happening in Puerto Rico. I like talking to somebody who actually lives in the country and has been living there for over 20 years to tell us what's happening, and especially somebody who is from the States and has the perspective of how screwed up we view what's happening in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Dave, it's always great talking you to you, sir. Yeah. My pleasure. Love you, brother. Uh, and take care. I hope you all, you know, take care of this winter, man. Well, we're, you know, we'll make it through. Yes, we oh will. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. Take care. All right. That's our man in San Juan, Dave Buchan, who has been reporting to us on all things Puerto Rico since the 20th century. You can find our interviews with Dave at our website. Just search on his last name, Buchan, B-U-C-H-E-N. Keeping it real. Real deep in debt since 1996. This is hell. If you want to help us climb out of that debt, you can subscribe to tomorrow's, I'm sorry, Friday's Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash this is hell. Don't forget there is no show tomorrow during the holiday. And we are back on Friday for a Patreon podcast live at 10 a.m. Chicago time and then podcast shortly after at the same place. Patreon.com slash this is hell. Become a subscriber to this is hell on Patreon and get exclusive access to our weekly Patreon podcast. And uh, this week on Patreon, we are continuing our series of playing interviews we did shortly after Barack Obama was elected president to remind us all of the hope we had for change and how we had to settle for the neoliberal status quo that never holds those in power accountable or responsible for their past misdeeds. With that in mind, we are sharing an interview we did on January 24th, 2009, only four days after President Barack Obama was inaugurated, when we talked to Elizabeth Holtzman, a former Democratic congresswoman from New York. During her time in office, Elizabeth played a key role on the House Judiciary Committee that impeached President Richard Nixon. Her most recent writing at the time was an article at The Nation titled, Holding Bush Accountable, Obama Cannot Let Former Bush Administration Officials Get Away with Breaking the Law Without Violating His Own Oath of Office. Unfortunately, he did violate his own oath of office by not holding those who broke the law accountable. Elizabeth also co-wrote the book, The Impeachment of George W. Bush, A Practical Guide for Concerned Citizens with Cynthia L. Cooper. And instead of being impeached or held accountable for his alleged war crimes, President George W. Bush now has a near 60% approval rating from Democrats. And if Democrats who do have a favorable view of President George W. Bush, who lied us into war and approved of torture... If you're one of those, you got to ask yourself, will we have a favorable view of President Trump in 12 years? 
also on tomorrow's Patreon podcast. Fox News now insists that there's a media war on Thanksgiving because the media is reporting that the Centers for Disease Control has advised against travel during this coming holiday weekend. Yes, reporting what the CDC advises is now, according to Fox News, a media war. You would think it would be a government war or the Trump administration war or the CDC war on Thanksgiving. But no, because the media reports on it, it's a media war on Thanksgiving. Who knows how Fox News would react to any information coming out of the National Institutes of Health? They'd probably view those news reports on statements from the NIH as treason. And I don't want to disappoint our friends at Fox News, so I will be going to war on all the holidays during the Patreon podcast this Friday. You name the holiday, I got a problem with it. In fact, I got a problem with the whole concept of holidays, no matter how much I absolutely love getting time off from work. But you can only hear that 2009 interview with Elizabeth Holtzman on how the George W. Bush administration should have been held accountable for its crimes and my declaration of war on all holidays, every one of them, by subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisishell. That's This Is Hell on Patreon live at patreon.com slash thisishell every Friday at 10 in the morning Chicago time and then podcast at the same place shortly after. Thanks to our newest subscribers on Patreon, including Mr. Malloy, Sam, Chris, and Hapalon. Thanks to all of you, Mr. Malloy, Sam, Chris, and Hapalon, for becoming our newest subscribers on Patreon. Jeff Dorchin will be delivering a moment of truth in just a couple of seconds during this week's moment. Jeff and his anesthesiologist give a stern warning. Producing this week's show is Richard Norwood. Richard, this week's question from hell is, what are you trying really hard to not think about? What are you trying really hard to not think about? Do you have more of our listeners' answers to this week's question from hell? I do, but do you want to know something interesting about, I don't know, did you check out the um, election the map, like the maps of the election, like the returns or whatever. In the United- you, yeah, in the United States. Did you do a deep dive at all? No, why? The District of Columbia, Trump got like 7% of the vote. Yeah. <laughs> the Democrat always gets over 90% of the vote in D.C. So no wonder they don't want to make it a state. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you think? I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. They just want democracy. They just want democracy, Richard. So this week's question from Mel is, what are you trying really hard to not think about? Richard, how are yes. people answering this week's question? Let's see here. Andrew says, coffee isn't a hangover cure. <laughs> I'm trying not to think about that, too, as I drink more coffee. Yeah. Jamie K. says, a monkey. <laughs> um. Why are you trying not to think about a monkey? <laughs> is it that difficult to think yeah. not think about a monkey? And uh, let's see, this one's via Twitter. Uh, what? Oh, my God. Let's see here. Yeah, there's like four or five in that list. Yeah. Oh, I see. So it's all big. Okay. I didn't open it. I didn't expand the thing. So. Yeah, yeah. What the turkey got stuffed with while still alive. Who said that? Adam B. Adam B. That's what. <laughs> so what are you trying really hard to not think about? He's trying not to think about what the <laughs> turkey was stuffed with while he was still alive. Okay. And Aaron Z says 46, 47. Yikes. And a hypocrite reader says, the whales of my ancestors. <laughs> Al B says, long-legged socialist, smooth-skinned smooth sociology majors and ethereal bisexuals who wear mostly black. All right. <laughs> Try not to think about those either. Uh, Eat Farts 69 says, paying all of the fresh student debt I've acquired in my 30s. Sure. Paying all 
paying off all well, i think is what he means right. uh sometimes I'll, you gotta edit them on yeah. the fly <laughs> alibaba boom bop says turkey and gravy because i guess thanksgiving is canceled <laughs> uh, what are you trying really hard not to think about how I spent the last four years assuming the U.S. would be mired in civil war and wouldn't have to worry about my senior seminar. And now I'm sitting here unprepared for my presentation. <laughs> Who said that? American Decline Observer. <laughs> American Decline Observer? I like that person. She, oh, there's a, nah, let's see. So uh, Aaron B. says this, but only because I'm so excited and because Chuck's legal weed in Chicago analysis has me spooked. Let me have this one, Chuck. <laughs> Nobody liked okay. that legal weed analysis that I had. Because I don't believe in uh, making weed legal. I think it just should be decriminalized. Get all laws away from weed as fast as possible. Greg, uh, Greg M. says pretty much everything. All right. And the animals, USA, discontinued <laughs> the animals yogurt flavors. I see. All right. Anybody else? Go back up to here and... Andrew P. says, the U.S. was built on stolen land and continual genocide. Uh, that, that is what he's Yeah, saying. everybody's trying really hard to not think about that, but maybe we should all be thinking about that on yes. this holiday weekend. All right. I think that's it for the moment. All right. And uh, the person who has our favorite answer to this week's question, Mel, wins our new Grand Black This Is Hell Winter hat. You can check out the new This Is Hell Winter hat and all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio. But you have to post it now because we will be announcing a winner shortly after Jeff Dorchin delivers his moment of truth. Another end of the world is possible. This is hell. Richard, I know you have. Hefe on the line. One, two, you know what to do. Welcome to the moment of truth, the thirst that is the drink. You can't go home again. I've been seeing an anesthesiologist. I find it much more relaxing than seeing a therapist. I met her in a bar in 2013. Since then, we go out a few times a year just to check in on each other. She's currently on the front lines of COVID-19 caregiving at Kaiser Permanente, as she's been since March. Her shifts are long, many, and difficult. She'd appreciate it if we all took a bit more care to wear masks in public, avoid congregating in large groups, especially indoors, wash hands frequently and thoroughly, and generally take the precautions we're all familiar with to keep from contracting COVID-19 or spreading it to others if we happen to be unaware carriers. With that in mind, I'd like to share some thoughts. They say you can't step into the same river twice. That would be a dumb rule, but it's not a rule. It's more like a Zen Cohen. Zen Cohens can be as dumb as they want. They don't even have to make sense. They can contradict themselves or otherwise puzzle the already perplexed. Here's one. We know the sound of two hands clapping, but what is the sound of one hand clapping? Ooh, there's a mind blower, except I know someone who can clap with one hand. College friend and theater oobleck performer and playwright David Isaacson. 
He could flap his arm up and down, keeping his wrist and hand limp, and his fingers would audibly slap his palm. His hand would clap itself. In your face, Master Hakuenekaku, reviver of the Rinzai school of Zen Buddhism. I have heard the sound of one hand clapping, and it was the hand of David Isaacson. Bow to him, old Koen monger. You can't step in the same river twice. It's a quote from Heraclitus, who was a pre-Socratic philosopher and an incredible ancient Greek to be able to create a Japanese Buddhist tool of transcendental understanding. I read an essay in which it was revealed that Wittgenstein disagreed with Heraclitus. He didn't call out Heraclitus by name. He said, the man who said one cannot step into the same river twice was wrong. One can step in the same river twice. No one can't. Yes, one can. It's a he said, he said situation. What I gathered from the essay about Wittgenstein and Harry was that the disagreement was more about the agreed upon limits of language and that people who said things like, without thinking of good or evil, show me your original face before your mother and father were born. We're transgressing those limits without first preparing the listener for the new territory. They were cheating at the game of language by making new rules without telling anyone, mostly for effect. And anyway, so what, says Wittgenstein. The fact that everything transforms from moment to moment doesn't really affect my direct experience of the river. The river is the river basin and the water flowing through it, the geographical reality of which can be symbolized on a map, and the water in which can be splashed and fished in and filtered through a sewage treatment plant. But from another still very functional perspective, the river is not the same river from moment to moment. If one is a biologist studying some of the organisms flowing along in the river, it's not a metaphysical matter. The, bio the, <clears throat> the biologist literally can't find the little creature she was just examining before she was distracted by a mosquito because the whole situation has been replaced by an entirely new one. And what's fair about including the river basin in the definition of the river? The basin, the banks, the islands, they aren't the river. The river is the water in and around them. If I emptied the water out, you'd just call it a river basin or a wadi, in which case to say the river is dry is a mistake. If it's dry, it's not a river. But Wittgenstein would probably be thinking about something else by then. Thomas Wolfe, the old one, not the celebrity writer in the cream-colored three-piece suit, the original Thomas Wolfe, wrote a book called You Can't Go Home Again. People say you can't go home again the way they might say you can't step into the same river twice. They mean you can go back to the place you called home, but you've changed. The people who've stayed behind have changed. Stuff has been torn down. Hasids had, have taken over the whole block adjacent to the strip mall. The old schoolyard playground looks much smaller than you remember. It's just all different. But what I mean when I say you can't go home again is more along the lines of an admonishment. I mean, really, don't. Don't go gather with your kinfolk for the holidays. Don't do anything unusual that would put you or your family members who live far from you at risk. Just don't. If you have to say your last goodbyes to great aunt Glenda, okay, maybe go for just that, but then get right back in your hermetically sealed Jetsons mobile and fly right back to your bunker. Fine, everybody has different limits, different ideas about what's safe. 
or how much risk they can tolerate or how risky they estimate their activities to be. Fine, I get it. But look, there's a vaccine coming in the spring. Can't you muster the effort for one final, thorough, four-month hunker till spring comes? One hellish, dark, lonely winter of monotony, poverty, anger, gloom, and echoing self-recrimination? You can do it. I know you can. You can do it so more people can get the vaccine before they get sick. Did you know that there are many people out there who think the virus is a hoax created by Bill Gates and George Soros to make Trump look like an even bigger, more dangerous idiot than everyone already knows he is? Today, as I write this, as the largest day of COVID-19 cases was recorded here in the state of California, a large crowd of flag-waving anal herpes sores is having a demonstration in beautiful medieval Huntington Beach against the 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew meant to stall the increase in infections. If California secedes from the union, there are plans to carve out Orange County and airlift it over the southwest, Texas, and the Gulf of Mexico and set it down where it can nestle in the armpit of Florida in Apalachee Bay. You can't go home again. You can't. Your family will understand. If they don't, they should have been dead to you already. Don't travel. Uncle Irving is still a passive-aggressive dick. He thinks it's funny to mock your financial problems, which are the talk of the entire family with his affected lightheartedness. You know this. You don't need reminding. Your cousin Wendy and her husband Ralph are definitely getting a divorce, I'll tell you right now, so you can practice feigning surprise for when your mom calls and tells you later. Oh, and she'll probably tell you at that time that Uncle Nate died. Try not to sound happy. I know you're interested in how much your niece has changed since last year's fiasco. You'll be happy to hear she dropped out of school to work at a nail salon slash tattoo and piercing parlor. She has a boyfriend she does recreational huffing with. She's an ethical slut modeling her look after PJ Harvey, and she's building her own kayak. You can't go home again. I know most of you are too smart to take unnecessary risks, and anyway, I've already made your decision, and it's Wednesday, so you're already there if you went. Well, be prepared to stay there if you did. Don't come back dragging your kinfolks filthy molecules. Stay there and marinate. On behalf of my anesthesiologist, have a safe, socially conscious, isolated, and sedate Thanksgiving. This has been the moment of truth. There was a really good article in the Times yesterday about uh, the total contradictions that are happening within the safety protocol. They were talking about how right now it's it's inconclusive. I'm not, they they're not saying that uh, small groups necessarily spread the virus or don't spread the virus. It's just inconclusive because it's such a small group of people. It's hard to trace back that as a spreading event because that's such a small group of people when it's much easier to do when there's a large group of people that's much easier to get conclusive evidence to show that there is community spread within that group to show that those are super spread events yet all the all the governments are telling people you know you shouldn't be visiting with any more than 10 people in your home however if you want to go to church with 150 people that's just fine so it's just and then the protests against it too that's the thing that really gets me about it. So it's inconclusive if these small events actually do spread the virus. So then all these people to protest the fact that the CDC advises that you not get together even in those small groups, 
all those people get together in a large group, which then does create a super spreader event. The whole thing just seems so contradictory. And in this article in the Times, one thing they were pointing out, uh, Jeff and I have been thinking about it, and I don't have any real thoughts, you know, uh, thought out ideas on it quite yet, Mm -hmm. but is that Mm -hmm. they're trying to, it's this shifting of the blame to the individual and that you can solve all, you can solve the virus just by doing a few individual actions to avoid looking at the larger systemic things that we can do, like even potentially a mask mandate. So I, I, you know, it, this whole this whole thing is a freaking nightmare. And it's the really fa- crazy. And the fact that they're being so contradictory, it's really difficult to parse what's right and what's not, you know? Well, you know, I think it is kind of patriotic when people do get together in large groups because it is easier to see those and dissect those and parse those as super spreader events and then to trace people. So in a way... By making a larger, more horrible event, they're making it easier to track the idiots who catch it. (laughs) And it just just reminds me of the conversation that we had with Mark Flurry back in March when he was talking to us from Seoul, South Korea. And he said that Mm -hmm. everybody in South Korea had tracing software on their phone. They had a tracing app on their phone that somebody, some student had made for free and then gave to everybody. And everybody had it in March. We're still working on a tracing system here. Wait, and the tracing wait, wait, systems wait. that we do have, there are dozens of them, and they're incompatible with each other. Why couldn't Mark Fleury make one for America? <laughs> That's why I asked him. <laughs> um, Chuck, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh, hanging out with my girlie. I, I mean, are you eating anything in particular? Oh, yes. We are having duck. Ooh, I'm making a goose. Are you? I'm making a goose, a pheasant, and a Cornish hen. Get the hell out of here. I'm making so much food, it's insane. I spent like 200 bucks on this Thanksgiving because I got paid for something that I did not expect to be paid for, and uh, it was exactly 200 bucks. I've got like so many. I got rutabagas and parsnips and and. You're not stuffing these animals into each other, are you? No, I'm not doing the the turducken-esque. With a pheasant and a goose. Poultry Russian doll. Thing. I've always wanted to make goose. Uh, in December, early December, is St. Martin's Goss Day. And I only learned that because I was living in Andersonville. And there would be signs up all over the place saying, get your goose for St. Martin's Goss Day. And I've always wanted to try to make goose. But I've always heard it was really difficult and easy to dry out. Kind of like duck can be problematic, too. Well, you know, you can you can avoid those things once you know that that's a problem. <laughs> there you go. I don't know what you do exactly. I think you... you you can brine it, for one thing. Yeah, that's the big thing nowadays. There's another thing. You can spatchcock it. Yes. Which a friend of mine really loves saying because he's in a same-sex couple and he thinks it, it makes me think of something else. But it just makes me think of splitting a bird open and <laughs> putting a butterfly on a, on a rack. It's the best way uh, to cook a chicken. I, another thing is I'm I'm about to get really fat, so I spent the whole two weeks like <laughs> kind of fasting for the day. So I've dropped about six pounds, and I am prepared to eat all that back on in the next you know few days. Tomorrow, beginning tomorrow, and and I got pumpkin pie and ice cream and Cointreau to put on my vanilla ice cream, a la Michael Maher. So uh, I've got a bunch of uh, flavorizing and gobbling up to do. And I'm not having any turkey. Oh, but I will say this. 
this friend of mine who loves to say spatchcock, his husband made a uh, a puttanesca bread. So, you know, puttanesca is a pasta sauce. Supposedly, uh, according to one definition, it's what prostitutes is puta is prostitute. It's a uh, it's a uh, prostitutes would only have time to make a sauce really quick, so they'd smash a bunch of olives and garlic and and uh, anchovies and and make a sauce really quick between customers. But then my friend Alfredo, who is Italian, said, "No, no, it's because it really tastes good." And you say, "Oh, puta madre, puta something." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love on my, my ice cream? I love treacle on my ice cream. Golden syrup. It's delicious. Ooh, golden syrup is treacle. Yes. I did not know that. Yes. All right, Jeffy. What? Enjoy your holiday. Okay, you too. And stay beautiful. Oh, I will. Live from land stolen from the Potawatomi people, this is hell. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show podcast live stream host, Chuck Mertz. Producing this week's show is Richard Norwood. Richard, do we have any more responses to this week's question from hell, which is, what are you trying really hard to not think about? Yes, I found a few more. All right. Dowdy, dowdy, dowdy says, thinking. <laughs> That's hard not to think about. Fuck me. Fuck. <laughs> fuck me, fuck me, K yeah. says. That's F-A-K-H-M-I, by the way. Yes. Fuck me. <laughs> that this crap might one day be seen as the good old days. Yes, and it will be. Adam C. says, the future. Mm. I don't want this fun to be over. No. Marco G. says, that time I gave the wrong directions to a stranger. <laughs> that guy's still lost. <laughs> and uh, Vinny and Sophie say, how to answer the question from hell. <laughs> And what are you trying really hard not to think about? Susan D. says, what's in my freezer? And KCC says, whatever is in Susan D.'s freezer. <laughs> I think we got tag teamed there. And the last one is from Gorilla Gramophonics, the shockingly unmeditated indifference of the universe. So unlike the merely metaphorical indifference I once foolishly decided I could deal with, and make jokes about because that went well with my beret. <laughs> it did go well with your beret. The answers I liked most to this week's question from hell. Uh, Andrew saying coffee isn't a hangover cure. Very nice callback to this week's hangover cure. Uh, Adam B. saying what the turkey got stuffed with while it was still alive. That's disturbing. Mason saying what he was trying really hard to not think about was every embarrassing thing I've ever done in my life. I should really stop playing these in my head each night. That's that's spectacular answer. Maybe a little bit too close to the bone for me. Uh, and Andrew said what he's trying really hard to not think about over the holidays is the U.S. was built on stolen land and continual genocide. That makes this week's winner. While I do like Mason's answer, I have been trying really hard to not think about every embarrassing thing I've ever done in my life. And like Mason, I should really stop playing those in my head each and every night, keeping me up night after night. But considering this holiday, this weekend's winner is Andrew Pugh, said that what he is trying hard to not think about is the U.S. that was built on stolen land and continual genocide. And even though I think that's something that we should all be willing to think about and trying to think about this weekend, I still think it's the most 
It's the best answer so far. So, or the best answer we got this week. So, Andrew, you are the winner of this week's question from hell. All you have to do is just send us your mailing address via Facebook, and we will send you your winter hat, which you have won for having our favorite answer to this week's question from hell. Everybody else can see the winter hat and all of our stuff at thisishell.com when you click on support. My answer to this week's question from hell, what are you trying really hard to not think about? Uh, What Mason said, every embarrassing thing I've ever done in my life. Thanks to everyone for sending in your answers to this week's question from hell. Special thanks to Meredith Z, who went to thisishell.com and clicked on support to show how much they appreciate completely listener-supported This Is Hell, where you can find all the ways you can show your support by either subscribing to Patreon, on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisishell, or in getting some of our swag or just donating. Again, thanks, Meredith. We truly appreciate your support. We are not doing a show tomorrow, Thursday, due to the holiday. However, we are airing a Patreon show, Patreon podcast, Friday at 10 a.m. Chicago time, live stream, 10 a.m. Chicago time, Friday, and podcast shortly after at the same place, patreon.com slash thisishell. And we return next Monday, November 30th, when we will have a report live from Sao Paulo and contributor Brian Muir of Brazil Wire and Telesur English. Brian will be getting us caught up on recent elections in Brazil. We start every week's live streaming shows here at thisishell.com with Daphne revealing the week's hangover cure. And this week's hangover cure is not coffee. Thanks to all of this week's guests, including writer and researcher at Perilous, a chronicle of prisoner unrest, Duncan Tarr, who was on to discuss the Perilous Analysis, First 90 Days of Prisoner Resistance to COVID-19, Reports on Events, Data, and Trends, which you can find out more about at PerilousChronicle.com. Thanks to yesterday's guest philosopher, Teppo Eskalinen, who edited the collection of essays, The Revival of Political Imagination, Utopia as Methodology. Finally, thanks to today's guest, our man in San Juan, Dave Buchan, who has has been reporting to us on all things Puerto Rico from San Juan since the past century. Talk to you tomorrow on Patreon when we will be playing an interview we did only four days after President Barack Obama was inaugurated when we spoke with Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman, who was on the committee that impeached President Richard Nixon. Congresswoman Holtzman had written a book on how and why to impeach President George W. Bush. And as that did not happen, she was campaigning to have President Bush held accountable for his crimes of lying us into war and allowing torture during the Obama administration instead of just impeaching Bush while he was in office. Despite all of that, for some reason, Democrats today have a near 60% approval rating for W, which will probably be the approval rating President Trump gets from Democrats in 12 years. After another Republican presidential nightmare, worse than the one we are experiencing at this very moment. Meanwhile, I will be doing everything I can to avoid the Christmas rush by going to war on all holidays. But you can only hear that Friday, live at 10 a.m. Chicago time, and podcast shortly after at patreon.com slash thisishell. If you like what you heard on today's show, please help support completely listener-supported This is hell. Thanks to Richard Norwood for producing today's show. There's only one way to get over all the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's set of shows. That's by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your palms towards the sky, focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead, and saying the simple words, Everybody's stupid.
Thank you for listening to This Is Hell. For more interview hell and to support the show, visit thisishell.com. <laughs>